Welcome to Fans of the Forge. I'm Chris. To my left, we have Sean. Hey. To my right, we have Teresa. Hello. And today we have a special guest calling in, Brandon Austin, who was a contestant on Forge and Fire. I believe he was the episode of the, the Navaja. Yes. How you doing? Good, good. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. So, um... We've been doing these Forged in Fire wrap-up shows for a little while now. Um, we became fans a little more recently. The show's been around, obviously, five seasons, and we're kind of playing catch-up. And yeah, about years. Yeah. So we decided, you know, hey, it didn't seem like there's anybody actually doing much other content about the show, but it seemed like it was a pretty popular show. So that's kind of why we decided to do this little wrap-up show and kind of give our opinions on it. And hopefully... We kind of make it a more unique show because of the fact that we are outsiders who have absolutely zero experience with any knife making and that sort of thing. But we love the show so much and we love the craftsmanship that goes into it so much. We figured, hey, why not talk about it and see if anything happens? So that being said, that led us down the path of uh, getting these up on YouTube is how we kind of connected. You commented it on the, uh, the video we put up of you kind of corrected us on some of the stuff we said in that video, which we were happy to get, believe me, because we are completely um, in the no dark. <laughs> yeah, we have no idea what goes on there during a show. So we were in the dark and um, to kind of hear some of that behind the scenes stuff was uh, really neat. So uh, again, we, we thank you for uh, contacting us on there and uh, we got some questions for you. All right, Brandon. So uh, where where are you located? I live in uh, Laporte, Texas. It's a suburb of Houston. That, that's where my home is. Okay. And, uh, um, the show is actually filmed in New York, so they have to fly you out there. So. All right. Cool. That's cool. True. And uh, how did you get into bladesmithing? Uh, I started bladesmithing a little over six years, almost seven years ago now, and uh, I've always made things with my hands, furniture, carving, wood. My brother wanted a knife. And uh, I watched a video on YouTube how to make a knife out of a rasp, and I uh, started from there. Started reading books and watching videos, and became a bladesmith. That's how I generally started. Oh wow, that's kind of what we're looking to do: is the YouTube route. We want to build our own forge. Um, first things first, we actually need to get a space to put it in, and then we're gonna. Once we have that, we're, we're gonna start looking into what we need to build it. And then our goal was to. Um, look at the YouTube videos out there and see if we could get, you know, a good basic beginner's guide from there to get us started on the, on the right course, at least. There's a, a lot of people, uh, they go a little overboard with it when they start. They think they need a propane forge and an anvil and all that. And I, I started in a barbecue pit. You know, I wanted to make it. and I ended up burning it up because it can't handle the heat. But I made probably 10 blades out of that pit. And, and on the back of a little $30 vice had a little hammering area on it right. and uh that's where i started making my knives was right there no kidding just gathered the tools as i got better and sold blades i used that money to buy more tools until seven years later I have everything i need and it was all bought from my knives that's so, great that's fantastic took some time took time to do it but that's how i did it i think that's probably the case with any sort of um skill that you have to put some time into to really master it and get good at it and then after a little yeah. while you start to reap the dividends of that or the payout of that or so that's cool that's an interesting story to hear that so maybe we don't have to go too far uh, crazy right off the bat no, i got so. a vice with a flat spot on it so we can have i have a go. fire pit yeah. all right the, the turkey <laughs> thing. one thing about youtube you have to be careful with the videos and i fell into the trap is there's 100 videos and maybe 90 of them are teaching you the wrong thing so um you learn it the wrong way or you start doing it and you, you go to read a book from a real bladesmith or you watch a video. I joined the American Bladesmith Society and they have forms and you start talking to the masters and things and you realize things you learned off YouTube weren't exactly right. There is a handful of guys on YouTube that show you exactly how you should do it in the correct way. The problem is learning when you first start how to weed that out. And All right. There is quite a few that are good, but there's quite a few that do it incorrectly that will ruin what you're doing but that's good uh, to know trial trial and error <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so are you full or part-time i am part-time yeah, it's more of a hobby okay right now yeah. oh all right 
So how do you get customers like that people that you're selling your knives to? Do they find you on Facebook or something or do you um, promote on social media or that sort of thing? I have promoted a little bit. I have an SD site and all that, but I, I generally sell to the people I work with. I, I work in the oil refineries. So we do turnarounds and that, and there's hundreds of people out there with make pretty decent money. So we all hunt and fish and they say have knives. And I don't think I've only sold two or three blades offline. Most oh. of them before I could sell them online, I've already sold them in person. So I just, I hand it to the guy, he hands me cash. That's oh. how I've generally done it. So cool. cool. Works out pretty good. <laughs> uh, what equipment do you use regularly? I know you said, you know, you start out with an anvil. Uh, so what do you kind of use now? Uh, right now, uh, when I'm forging a blade, of course, you use your basics to forge. As you've seen on the show, I, I started out with coal for the first couple of years. and I started way differently. That killed me. I use gas and some and some pieces of wood and a power blower. Just turn it on and you got fire. You didn't have to hand crank it and have a piece of paper. But uh, uh, I use my propane forge and my anvil, which I've made my anvil. Uh, bought a big chunk of steel and made it. And, my hammer is probably my favorite thing, but the thing I use the most, my two by 72 grinder and my drill press. Okay. Didn't think, didn't think I'd use a drill press that much, but actually it, it, I really enjoyed the drill press. Oh, nice. So for the drill press, um, like I'm thinking of, I've seen it used in the show before. And a lot of times it's maybe, um, if you have to, do stuff with the the handle and, and maybe add pins and things like that. Is there other stuff that you're using it for during the, the process? Really, it's just a handle. Use it for, of course, your uh, handle pins, uh, drilling out handle stock, and then uh, finger guards. Finger guards have to be very you know precise with your measuring and filing. But if you have a good vice for your drill, and you can drill you know nice and steady, you can get those holes pretty pretty accurate. It saves a lot of time. And a lot of wasted energy. Oh, okay. Is there a material and style you prefer when forging blades? I use only a pretty much 10 series steel, 1095, 1084, 1075. Uh, I prefer those. Right now I use 1075, 1084 the most. They're probably the most forgiving when it comes to actual forging and uh, quenching. Um, other steels, 51, you know, 52100, those type of steels, even 1095, you have to be a lot more accurate with your heat treating and you have to have the equipment, which I do, but I've used these steels for so long. That's what I, I like to use. Cool. Is that, uh, what, are the, what do those numbers signify exactly? Uh, well, the higher, the, the 75, 1075, 1084, 1095, that is the carbon content. So, 1095 has almost 1% carbon in it, which is a lot higher than, say, uh, a lot of people like railroad spikes, but they're probably more of a 1040. Mm -hmm. They won't hold an edge as long. Really good for, say, a tool or pounding on it. It won't uh, chip. It'll take a good wear, but it won't hold an edge for very long. Right. Oh. So your your ambles and your hammers and things of that are made out of mid-10 series. A straight steel, say an I-beam, very low 10 series almost no carbon so it's okay. it's steel but it don't have a lot of carbon so it's not gonna be able to be hardened it won't hold an edge be real durable but it won't be sharp very long if ever oh, okay you know where like w2 falls into w2 is a is actually believe it or not you know they say don't quench your water but it's a it's a water quenching steel okay and, oh, uh, okay i don't know the uh exact you know medical breakdown of that but I think it has a little over 1% carbon in it, but it, it is a water quenching steel, but they tell you, you, you know, an ABS, you talk to them, but still everything perfect, perfect heat treating oven, perfect brine solution, warm water with, you know, chemicals in it, still a 70% chance of fail on your quench, even if you're perfect at it. Oh, so wow. they say, stay away from water unless you're, you're willing to take that risk. Really what the water is, it quenches faster. And if you're looking for a hormone, which is a, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a, it's a colored line on the blade where it's differential heat treated. Right. The bottom's harder than the top. Is that where they use the clay on it a lot of times too, to kind of? Yeah, yeah you, can, you can clay the blade and uh, it'll do the same thing. Now um, W2 is a fast quench steel, it's a deep hardening steel. 
so it'll bring that hormone out a lot, a lot better and uh and water brings it out even, even better it's faster quench but it's really aggressive on the blade and there's a good chance it'll break so especially on the show stay away from water you know you can't remake a blade you, sure. know, you can but it's going to be not fun yeah absolutely so what is your favorite style of blade to make yeah i like uh, more of a uh, camping type knives or hunting knives i really like working type knives you know i like show knives and fancy knives but i want people even if it is a show knife wanting to use it so buoy type knives things they're going to take out and actually use for something i don't like making a blade that's just going to sit on a shelf and they bought it and they say i got a blade i mean it's nice to have the money but i prefer them to call me and say hey i skinned three deer with this knife and i didn't have to sharpen it i like that that's what i prefer oh cool so how long does it normally take for you to make a blade from start to finish from design to to quench or hand I can make a blade. I, I generally used to take, I can make a blade in a day. I used to do it in a day and be done with it. But, um, I don't, I don't have a lot of time with work. So I try to knock them out in a weekend. But if I go for a, a nicer knife, you know, no scratches in a blade, more of a, a show quality or really quality knife, it could take me up to a week, you know, four or five days to, to make one blade. But I generally can get them done in a weekend. Do you make anything besides blades? Uh, yes, I do. Right now, all I make is blades because I'm trying to pass my uh, journeyman stamp test with the American Bladesmith Society. So all I do is practice with that. But blades are more for me for uh, for enjoyment. I, I don't want to make a living off of making blades. I wanted to do it for for me. So I do make furniture. I used to make a lot of furniture and shelves and gates and things like that. I was learning how to actual blacksmith, not just make blades, but. Uh, the past two years, I've decided to just push very hard on knives to become a journeyman stamp level bladesmith. And then I'm going to go back to making furniture and that and just go back to enjoy making blades. I make a lot of other things. Can you explain the, the rankings of the, the bladesmith step? That, so you're going for journeyman and then there's also uh, master, but what else is yes, there? Yes, <laughs> I can. When, when you join the American Bladesmith Society, you pretty much join everyone's an apprentice. So they, they offer schools and classes. I think it's a $30 fee. I can't really remember what it is for a year. And their forms are more than worth the $30 because masters will comment on everything. They have people that watch the forms for them and they will comment on it. So it's just, it's a wealth of knowledge to be on there and, and asking people that actually know what they're doing. So you have to be an apprentice for at least three years. You can do, do it for two if you take their two week class on basics of bladesmithing. The three years as an apprentice, and then you can test for a journeyman. Uh, the journeyman test involves a performance test. You have to bring a blade. I don't know if you've seen that. If not, you should look that up on YouTube. If you go to my channel, you'll see me failing it. It was. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty good at failing stuff with knives, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, you have to cut a one-inch hemp rope with one swing six inches from the bottom, free hanging. It can't be tied off. And you have to chop, chop through a two-by-four twice. Still has to be shaved, be able to shave your arm, no edge deformation, no dulling, no rolling of the edge, no nothing. And then at that point, you put three inches of your blade in a vise and you bend it 90 degrees without it breaking. Wow. That's oh, wow. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's the performance part of the test. So once you pass that, then it actually just happened. The, uh, the blade show that they put on, that's actually the ABS's show. That's their biggest knife show of the year. Um, that Friday morning, they judge masters and journeymen. So you have to bring five show blades to their standards to be judged. And if they accept your blades, you pass. If they don't, you fail. And uh, got to wait again to the next year. Oh, wow. So pretty much journeyman and master. That's it. Apprentice, journeyman, master. That's that's the only uh, levels they have. Kind of the same as any like trade. Yeah. Cool. Do you have any good beginner's tips? So, like, obviously, we don't have any of the equipment yet, but we are gonna, we'll look into it now. And based on kind of what you told us, you know, we could get a, a pretty rudimentary setup going to at least practice and, and start the process. Do you have any other tips that you could uh, provide on that? Yeah, a good tip with uh, with when you go to bladesmithing is uh, 
oh, if you bought off more than you can chew, I mean, it happens. Just uh, enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, then try to find something you do enjoy about it. If you just don't like it, it's not going to be for you. Um, people say if you don't forge, if you grind it, you're not bladesmithing, you're you're a blade maker. I mean, yeah, they're right, but there's a lot of grinding in the blade. So if you have to start off just grinding your blade and getting the heat treat right and learning that, then start out that way and then progress to forging. And you don't have to go right into forging your tip, grind your tip. Now, it's not – a lot of people won't like me saying that, but right now, without a you know microscope, you're not going to be able to tell me the difference between a forged blade and a ground blade. I prefer to forge all mine to shape, and that's what we have to do. But when I first started, I forged them pretty rough. And, I mean, they were pretty rough, so I pretty much ground them to shape after that. I forged a really ugly-looking bar, and then I ground it. Hmm. So – don't let people put you down on that. Uh, just do what you enjoy. Uh, another thing is watch the videos, you know, and uh, watch other people and, and learn your tools. Uh, my buddy started doing it and I try to tell him not to do it, but he got a four pound framing ha- or a four pound forging hammer. What's well, going to blow your arm up? You need to, you need to get what's appropriate for you. If you can't swing a four pound hammer consecutively and evenly, that's another thing. Just because you can swing it, you have to hit flat. If you hit on the edge, you're going to destroy the steel. So if you can't control that hammer with just your wrist movement, it's too heavy. So then you need to move to a smaller hammer. And uh, really just try. Don't don't give up. Just do it. Who cares if you're not the best? Just have fun with it. Yeah, hopefully that's the goal here. <laughs> no, I mean, if I make like a big turd, I'm not going to show it off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing uh, I will point out. I don't comment a lot online. I'm in a lot of forums on Facebook and all that. And, and uh, I don't know, PC Society, I don't know. People will put their work on there and you say, what do you think? And then people will comment. Take constructive criticism. Um, I had a master smith, Kevin Cash, and he, uh, I sent some pictures of blades that I thought were just the best I'd made. I knew there was problems with them. This was several years ago. And... Uh, Man, I thought I did a great job, and he asked me how strict is do I want him to be on him. I said, I said, go go all out, and I would say about four four pages of an email back with tons of pictures and pointers, and uh, yeah, he destroyed them blades. I might as well just throw them throw them away. They were, uh, but it was all constructive criticism. I didn't take offense to any of it. I was very happy he did it. It made me a better bladesmith. And then again, just a year ago, I took a show blade. I actually have it right here. I mean. Uh, at the time, this was my best blade. I was very proud of this blade, and uh, I really enjoy that blade. And I, I took it with me to do my, my performance test, and I let that master smith, Greg Neely, uh, critique that blade for me. About 35 minutes of him telling me what he didn't like about it, he was done. And uh, again, you, you don't take offense to that. People get mad when they put their first knife online, and People say, hey, you know, the flow of the handle doesn't match the ricasso or the back of the blade, and they get angry. Take it constructively and learn from it, and uh, and it'll make you better. And I got that's all I got to say about that. I mean, yeah. a lot of people get offended. They, should, they shouldn't. Yeah, so uh, with that, uh, who was your favorite Forge and Fire? Um, what was it, cast or do you think judge? Judge, cast member, nah. whatever you want to say there. My favorite cast member, I'm, I'll have to say, I didn't get to meet him. The one I got to meet that was probably my favorite was uh, was uh, David Baker. Okay. And, uh, I mean, they're all real nice. I like Ben Abbott was there. and uh, But I really wanted to meet Jay Nelson. I wanted him to judge my blade and watch me forge. That's who I was really wanting to meet. But uh, he wasn't on my episode. So, But Jay Nelson is probably my favorite. Cool. Are they all as nice as they seem? <laughs> I'm gonna say no. <laughs> there, there's uh, one in particular I'm not gonna say, but uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't care for him too much. But uh, hey, <laughs> you don't have to like everybody, right? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I may get back on one day, so I don't wanna. Yeah. yeah. Hey, smart. Of course. <laughs> and. Uh, so you mentioned prior to us starting the call that the round one and round two are actually shot on uh, different days and you're told to bring the same outfit with you. So our question kind of 
already is answered if the <laughs> if we asked about getting a lunch break between the two <laughs> rounds obviously yeah. you're getting a whole like dinner and, and more break there so i can break down that whole day for you because it it was actually a terrible day i mean it was nothing nice about that first day uh, it was rough i worked 12 14 hour days in a refinery and i was i was hurting at the end of that day i can tell you that well on our first day we got there they picked us up i guess everyone could be different they picked us up at six o'clock in the morning and uh, they feed you breakfast i'm not gonna say it was awesome because it wasn't but uh, (laughs) (laughs) they feed you breakfast and then you get there and you start interviews i've never done so many interviews in my life i mean interview after interview after interview we had hours of interviews and you try hard not to let them catch you on things they're trying to get certain things out of you and uh i found out right away with that not crying thing (laughs) that whole talking trash about another competitor in a two-page email that i'd sent them a year previously that's why i was there Uh, my second question on my first interview was asking about that guy and to be frank, I don't care about that guy. You know, I just made a comment like, hey, and this guy named Brandon cried on the show. My name's Brandon. I can't let that go. And man, they hounded that to to death. Every interview, I'm like, yeah, okay, let's talk about this again. But uh, so you try to dance around questions. So in that first day, you can only go in certain rooms. People are by your side all the time. You know, of course, they're, they're keeping it secrets. They, they take it very seriously. They, they take your phones as soon as you get there and everything. They don't want you... Really, they don't want you even talking to each other that much, and they they take it very seriously as a competition. If you try to talk or help each other on the floor, they get on you. They holler at you, and it happened to a couple of us. And uh, so I'd say we did inter- interviews till probably ten, ten thirty. Then took a little break, and then of course my episode was not on the set. We kind of seen that coming. There wasn't many people there. It was weird. We get in a vehicle and we have a, to drive to the location. Once there, you got to put on makeup and and uh, mics and just get you know situated. You do your intros and then you go and sign rules and go over everything that's going on. And then you take a lunch break. So we took a little lunch break. We probably for, started forging about twelve thirty, right in the heat of the day, mm-hmm. and. We got four hours for ours, so we got done probably about five o'clock. I mean, there's cameras everywhere. I don't know how TV works. I mean, <laughs> I didn't think that guy in front of me ever left with that camera, but when they show a shot down the ambles, he's not there. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> them guys are everywhere. I mean, I blew sparks all over one. I stopped. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And he moved to the other side and just kept on grinding. It's like, okay. I mean, they never left your side. They were always with you. And, um, I think I paid attention to what was going on around me too much. Um, There's probably a hundred people right outside on the road. We were next to a subway and uh, all these New Yorkers videoing and there's probably 10 cameramen and the judges walking around and it was a little nerve wracking, a little more than what I thought. You know, I thought I could handle it a lot better than I did. And I was like, man, there's just people everywhere. So, and then, so we got done about five, I would say, and more interviews. And of course, you have to bring more than one set of clothes because you're going to – I mean, we had to do interviews after the forge as if we hadn't forged yet because there's questions they didn't ask us yet. So we had to change into clean clothes. Oh, okay. Huh. So at the end of the day, they took pictures of you to see how dirty you were, however that may be. We got home. We got back to the hotel about 9 o'clock. So we started at 6. We ended about 9. And that was the first round. Holy cow. Yeah, so got home. We ate dinner at nine at the at the hotel. Got up next morning, back at the studio at six, and and then then you do the judging. And it was probably lunch that day before I finally got cut on the, for that first round. So a day and a half for the first round, probably wow. of interviews wow. and filming. So but then- the forging was only four hours. There was no retakes on none of that. You started forging. That was it. Yeah, and then. After that, it was interviews. So the judging doesn't even happen until the next day. Uh, well, honestly, the the judging, the actual judges do your tempering of your blade after the fact at night. So you guys may not forge. I don't know if you know it, but 
when they put that steel in the oil, that hardens it. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's like glass. You could just slam it off the anvil, it will break. So there's another step that's called tempering. You're drawing back the hardness of the blade. That takes hours. I usually do three cycles, two hours a piece, six hours to temper a blade. I don't know exactly what they do on the show. They told us what they were going to do. I don't remember. I think it was three cycles of an hour, three hours. There's no way to do that on the time on the show. That's right. why this season they now say tempered blade on the second round instead of just hardened blade, because people were following the show's instructions, going to make it and breaking knives. People were complaining, "Hey, you guys are lying. That's how you make a blade." Well, it's not. There's off the screen tempering, mm-hmm. so they get a good look at those blades off the screen doing that. I mean, they they probably know before they come back for the second you know shoot for the second round. They already know. They're gonna cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they have a spinoff show that has just started uh, this this past year, actually, Knife or Death. And um, do you have any interest in that show? Or would you want to go on that show and um, present one of your knives and do the course? And knife, knife or Death, really, to me, I'm I got mixed emotions about it. It's kind of cheesy. <laughs> we have the so same we. thoughts. We have the same <laughs> thoughts. We, we we do enjoy watching it here and there, but it, it gets a little bit heavy on the cheese factor. For I watch sure. every yeah. single one. What are I you mean, talking about here and there? Uh. <laughs> I watch it. You know, I watch it. I did, you know, I find it somewhat entertaining, but I don't know. I just, I would like, I'll be honest, I wouldn't mind going on the show because I wanted to test my blade on Forge and Fire and I didn't get to. I'd like to make one and bring it there. I have a buddy that's actually trying to get on it, and I've tried to ask him if he wanted me to make his blade. He's going to make his own if he does get on. But uh, I wouldn't mind going just to test one of my blades, but so far they've rejected me because they have a list of Forge and Fire contestants they want to use. So, oh, oh I, see. I see. And I'm, I'm sure I wasn't flamboyant enough or, <laughs> right. or whatever it was to be on the – you know, I didn't wear some fancy kilt or <laughs> whatever the case may be, but, you know uh, – that test looks it looks rough. They're putting those those knives through the through the ringer on that, and just like on the forge, people not swinging correctly, and everyone's sitting at home like, why aren't they hitting the fish like this? And <laughs> they've never seen the show before. And in the heat of the moment, when you got you know five or six cameras around you, you know it's it's easy to say that until you actually did it. I actually complained about forge and fire quite a bit. And I still kind of do in my email to get on the show. I couldn't figure out how people would go on that show and not know how to forge weld or not know how to make cable Damascus or at least not read a book. Like, how are you not prepared for this? After the first season, you should have known that they're going to put you through a lot. And uh, one thing that's going to haunt me forever, if I don't ever get back on the show, yeah, forget the Cold Forge, whatever, I couldn't get it started. I was that guy, you know, I was like, okay, I can't get it started, great. But uh, when I burnt my blade, they didn't show that whole thing. I went ballistic. I mean, I was really angry, and uh, they cut most of that out. I was kind of hoping they wouldn't, but <laughs> I brought up in my e- email specifically that point, burning your blade while talking to the camera. And I said it in my email. I can't understand how someone is going to not pay attention enough to be talking to their camera and burn their blade. To me, that's unacceptable. So then I go on the show, and I get interviewed while forging, and I burn my blade while I was talking to the camera. And, man, I was mad. I was very angry with that and they showed um i think because i was watching some of that today and i think it was wade his blade also broke like you overheated it his and he just tapped it on the anvil he just actually just laid it on the anvil and the tip just like came right off yeah that was on his tang his handle part came off and that was actually like in about 45 minutes after i did mine they did it back to back on the show but yeah. it was they definitely edit things differently mm-hmm. um definitely at him differently like the quench of the blade they showed me and Kristoff like barely quenching our blades in time kind of thing you know and uh i was the first one to quench yeah <laughs> and clean my blade and everything and uh so they, you know they kind of play it up differently for tv and yeah i understand it actually made me look better because i you know i could have forged a little longer but i was forging cold you know um, that's all there was to it and I look back on it, I'm like, man, I was having trouble moving that metal. It's because it was cold. And I was gun shy. I was I burnt my handle once, it started to overheat, and it was on the handle, so I didn't worry about it, I didn't have to scrap it. But it was after I already burnt the blade once, so I kind of got fearful. And with that sun, it's hard to tell the temperatures. 
the anvils are actually polished as well so that the light was reflecting really bad uh, off the yeah. anvils and it's very very hard to see the colors and uh yeah I, I was hammering cold you couldn't see those cracks like i was talking about judging you couldn't see those cracks that day everyone looked at it no one said a word i didn't see it when they tempered the blade the cracks came out oh, you could wow. see those cracks during forging if i had a good mound built properly or i was in a gas forge heat will make cracks dark so when you go to forge if you see dark lines in your blade you have cracks so you might as well throw it away and start over hmm. interesting that's good to know uh let's see and so you've been to have you been been to some uh, blade conventions uh not many i've been to a few knife shows um, the first time I ever met any actual bladesmiths besides myself that actually forged blades was actually on the show. That was the first time I'd actually met people in person, talked to them on the phone or through email or things like that. But that was the first time I actually met anybody that actually did it. Actually, Christoph uh, Derringer, the uh, the kooky old Canadian there, yeah. <laughs> actually had his. I have his DVD, and uh, he's a master smith of the American Bladesmith Society, and I had a couple of his DVDs. He's a pretty good smith. It's just a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Smokes a lot of weed. <laughs> have you ever competed in any professional chopping contests? No, I have not. I, I'd actually like to do that. Those, I like those cup of cut, cutting competitions. I like chopping water bottles and all that and rope. Uh, there's actually a lot more to it than that. You can't just, on those cutting competitions, you see them guys in forging or forging death or whatever it is. Uh, they can't, you can't just show up and sign up. There's actually a school and a class you have to go through for them to prove that you are actually safe enough to use the blade and do this competent. So you have to go through some stuff to actually be certified to do their competition. And I just haven't spent the time to do it. Okay. Oh, so beyond packing multiple uh, outfits for the show, was there anything else that you had to do in preparation or you just basically you pack a bag and you head there? Yeah, well, getting ready for the show. Um, I know Matt, the winner, uh, Matthew, he put on a clinic. I mean, his he did a good job. And um, he said he was practicing a lot, making one-hour blades, you know, or two-hour blades, trying to get faster with just whatever he had in his grab band. He was training pretty hard for it. And uh, myself, uh, I made sure I watched videos on – canister jelly roll i watched several videos hours of videos over and over again of things that i've done here or there but i always refer back to a book while i'm doing it just to make sure it's kind of fresh in my mind before i got there i didn't want to throw something at me i hadn't done and my biggest challenge was being outside with a coal forge they gave us beautiful steel 1084 mm-hmm. very forgiving steel but it was an inch and a quarter bar it's pretty that's a lot to break down and uh the biggest preparation, I mean, I, then I pick my tools. We get to bring, you get to bring out as many tools as you want, but you get to bring three approved tools to each round. So I brought my own tools. Uh, that was actually a hindrance to me at the beginning because I brought my own hammer that I like to use. It feels good. It's only a two pound forging hammer though. And uh, an inch and a quarter bar, I didn't notice the French, eight pound French style forging hammer laying there. I should have used that, but I just used my hammer. And afterwards, I talked to the other guys. They're like, yeah, we used the big hammer to break it down. And me, I'm just pounding on it with a two-pounder. I could have done that a lot faster and used less energy. But that's another thing that uh, mental errors just fly by there. And you just don't even know they're happening until it's too late. You look back on it, and you're like, man, why would I do that? It was just dumb. And, uh, that happened several times throughout the episode. Like, I... I had leather gloves on. I kept burning my hands. That bar kept getting hot. I kept cooling it off in the water. Forgot that I had welding gloves in my bag. I, I seen Matt with them on. I'm like, oh, yeah, good job, dumbass. You got welding gloves in the bag, you know? So I picked them up, put them on, problem solved. And it's just real fast, though. Yeah, pressure like that, I'm sure, just makes your mind go in so many different directions. And uh, so I, I can only imagine what it would be like to right. be down there. You, right? You're in a foreign environment. You have some tools with you, not all of them. And uh, then you got to kind of figure out where everything is. And, yeah, I mean, there's a whole different setup going on. So Yeah, it was it was a lot different uh, forging there and uh, using their tools and just their setup. And I hate that. I hate that blower. It's got such a small gear. 
normally blowers are hand cranked. You crank it a couple times, and that air is going, and it continues to move by itself. Right. Oh yeah. But okay. Yeah, there was a the tiny little crank on that thing. <laughs> oh yeah. My arm was was wore out, and it's not. It wasn't from hammering. It was from spinning that little handle. I I probably did it for forty five minutes straight, and without until I got my fire going. And uh, yeah, I was wore out just from that little bitty crank on that handle. Um, I was wondering uh, at the beginning of the episode, you know, Ben's there saying um, you could, he, he would have used the steel grate versus the the bars, which I'm thinking, what the hell are you going to do with a steel grate like that to make a blade? Like, how would you even do that? Um, uh, I, 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 oh, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, so because the bar is solid, so right. that's perfect blade material that I'm thinking of. What the hell are you going to do with a grate? I heard him say that as well, listening to it, and that's a complete that he I'm not gonna say he's a liar, but I guarantee if he was on that episode, I know he won twice, he would have grabbed the bar. <laughs> what you're gonna do with that grate is you gotta and they wanted us to grab that grate. I could tell by the way they kept talking about it. Like, oh you guys can do it as a team. They wanted us to kind of help each other out with that grate. And it's like, get out of here with that. What you have to do is it it was three eighths round bar on that grate. So what you're going to do is you're going to pull that grate up. You're going to cut it apart into strips, pound them out straight, and then I guess wire them together because you don't have a welder. We had no power tools. Right. And then forge weld it into a bar, then make a knife. Nobody's going to do that in a cold forge in the sun. It's, it's just you could if you had all day and that's all you had and that's what you plan to do. But you got four hours. You're not going to do that. You're going to go take that solid bar and you're going to make a knife out of it. No, Nobody would – Whoever did that would not make a blade by the end of the four hours. I, I could put money. I put money on it. I put the ten grand on it. You're not gonna <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, from my perspective, I was like, well, what what could you do with that? If you're in the normal forge, just said, well, I guess you could cut it up, and make a canister Damascus out of it, but you can't there because you're just in cold forges. You can't do nah. a can. So I'm think you know it just didn't make sense. So you'd have to forge weld it, and it would be. I a matter of fact, I didn't see any stainless wire, so. Without stainless tie wire, forge welding, that would be dang near impossible. Because stainless melts at a higher temperature than carbon. I remember seeing carbon wire, but if you have thin carbon wire on a hard, bigger carbon rod, it's going to melt before your uh, welding temperature is reached. So I really don't remember seeing stainless wire, but also I didn't look because I wasn't going to forge weld. Right. I don't know anybody that was going to. As soon as we walked off from looking at the material, we went out and did our little mic check and all that. I think I asked everyone, I don't remember if it was me or someone else, I'm pretty sure it was me, who's using the bar? And we all laughed and we all raised our hand. <laughs> using the bar, me using nothing else. I mean, so I, I couldn't ever see anybody grabbing that grate. Yeah. And then you went and got everyone the bars. <laughs> yeah, there's more to that. I, I could, I'm, let's just say them bars one aren't as easy or weren't as hard to take off as what you, what you see. It didn't look like, it looked like you just kicked it or would have come right off the wall. Yeah, they they come off pretty pretty uh so when I grabbed it it was not that and I was like, Well, okay, I grabbed two. So <laughs> I cut mine in half and threw one on his table, you know, and yeah. it handed one to Christoph as you you know, walked by, so and there was actually a lot more helping than they show. We get in trouble a lot and you're not supposed to help. You actually sign rules beforehand and you're not going to help. It's part of the rules. I always wondered that in the first season and the second season until I applied. The bladesmithing community is very small, so I'm like, how are these guys not helping each other more? Like, I've never met a master that I've asked a question that hasn't told me the answer, or at least his version, and um, they weren't helping each other. Come to find out, you signed rules saying you're not going to help each other, and they edited it out because there was more helping on our episode than what you've seen, and we got yelled at and had to go back to our station, oh. and, uh, and they edited it out. They so. set you in timeout? Like, what the hell is that all about? <laughs> no, nah, they, well, they just holler, hey. Get back to your station. You know, you don't want to get disqualified. They're probably not going to because you're already there. Yeah. But it's frowned upon. They don't like it. The, the well, producers that, don't like it. That's bullshit because, like, there's an episode I was just watching where um, something happened in the actual forge and Doug's like, boy, that's great. Those guys helping each other out <laughs> like that. Like, what the judges hell? love it because they are bladesmith as well. Right. I mean, Jay Nelson, he's a master smith. A lot of them guys on that side, you know, are master smiths and David Baker. So they love it. They understand the Blacemith community. They understand helping each other. They like it. But the producers that run the show don't like it. It's a competition. They don't want you doing it. Oh, gotcha. 
Makes sense. That seems like you're comfortable. Yeah, what do you have to like? <laughs> it, okay, so you have four hours, obviously, in in your competition, and um, I find it hard to go an hour without having to go to the bathroom. So I can only imagine that you're gonna have to like. What do you do if you have to use the bathroom during the competition? You just go. I mean, they got bathrooms right there, and you take a break and you go. There were several times where we did take breaks, or I know there was once where I ate a banana. I was okay. getting hot, and I just drank some water and ate a banana and stood there. And uh, man, Christoph, I think he was gone for like 30, 40 minutes at one time. And uh, that's, that's when right, he kind of yeah. got rejuvenated there and came back and, and uh, finished out his blade. But yeah, you just take a break and go. You got to manage your time. You feel you can do it, do it. I mean, Ray Kirk's episode, his first time, he sat down and asked for a cup of coffee at an hour left. Yeah, I remember that. I saw that. That was pretty funny. You know, he's like, hey, I'm done. You got any coffee? You know? But, yeah, just manage your time. Do what you got to do. Can you, uh, when you're actually forging, can you hear, like, the judges, like, talking shit or complimenting or any comments from them? Uh, whenever you are down there forging in my episode, you couldn't hear them that well because they were actually a pretty good distance from us being outdoors and where we had it all set up. We were actually in the forging area, the uh, back of the shop, their actual forge on set. You could hear a lot better. So I'm, I bet people could hear because we could hear them every now and then. And that's all how well you're tuning it in or out. Like uh, I believe it was Wade said he couldn't hear anything. But what he was doing, he was very focused for me. Here, I got anxiety. I'm looking everywhere. I hear everything. I see what everyone's doing. And I'm just looking around. I, I heard them a couple times say say things. I know they complimented uh, Matt on something he did. I think it was drifting the holes for his pins in his, in his, in his uh, handle. And, uh, you know, you hear him, of course, when we break our blades. And uh, several other things. You can't, you can't hear him here and there, but not great where we're at. You can hear him great, though. Yeah, and I noticed um, there was some like some overdubs from Ben and I think maybe even Dave on the episode where I'm like, okay, that, that they record that in a studio, and I'm guessing because you said it was a lot of like noise out where you guys were and road noise, right. that makes sense then. Yeah, that, that was the first time they'd ever done that on one of the episodes where they overdubbed. I actually didn't like that part of the episode. It was kind of like the crack they brought up the cracks if he keeps hammering cold steel he's going to develop cracks yeah well they didn't know how to cracks until the heat treated it so you know that was just hindsight 2020 yeah i know if i hammer cold steel maybe it cracks but right <laughs> so you know that kind of thing but yeah I didn't, I didn't think they did that very seamlessly they could have done that better with the overdubs were i don't know I didn't, I didn't like that part of the the show when they added that I agree with that too. We've noticed that more on on more of the recent episodes that they've been doing some more of those overdubs, and sometimes it's okay, but it's pretty obvious. Like there's there's times where they're trying to make it seem like it's Will Willis saying something on the spot, and but he has his back to the camera, and he's like, "This this is not recorded at the same time." It, so something's off about it, and uh, it takes a l- little bit out of the show, I think, when when they throw those little extra yeah. overdubs in. But, I, I think so too. Uh, it takes a little bit of the liveness out of it, like it's right now happening. Yeah, uh, you know, like uh, that was definitely done in a studio. I mean, but. yep. So when they're doing the judging and you're in that side room with the glass in between, can you hear what they're saying? Is that soundproof? Uh, no, no, you can't hear them. No, nah, you can't hear them when they're in there. Now they, again, they pretty much know before they go in that room. Uh, I mean, they done did. We done did our uh, little conference in front of them they've done looked at the blades behind you know behind the scenes and and a uh, little side room you step off to the side and you and you talk there and yeah i mean that's just part of it it is a little nerve-wracking but i already knew everyone said nah you're not going home i'm like oh yeah they're just being nice i knew i was going home first and my blade was too thick which is something jay nielsen says it's not you know it's not grinding fire it's forging fire uh, <laughs> accident where the handle met the Ricasso on the back of the blade had a hump in it. I didn't forge that down. I didn't flow correctly. I, I knew I was going. Uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I was going. So I actually wasn't. It looked like I was upset when I left. They had me do that leaving scene quite a few times because I don't think I was mad enough. At first I was smiling. 
like yeah I, I knew i knew i was leaving i remember ben abbott i hadn't even looked at my blade cracks when they first talked about it because you know don't move don't move so you're standing looking at the camera and you're or will like you're supposed to you're not moving well when we were getting setting back up for when they were kicking us off the show i looked at it and right then that was the first time i'd seen them cracks and they were everywhere man i was like i looked up and ben abbott's looking at me i winked at him he smiled i was like oh yeah i've had it I'm just off back. I was like, yeah, it's me. Don't worry about it, man. I was like, for sure, it's me. <laughs> but, uh, and, hey, that's how it goes. Someone's got to lose. Yeah. So I think we're down to pretty much one last question here, uh, unless, Sean, you have any extras after um, we answer this one. So we had, asked, we had got under the assumption that they maybe even filmed in Connecticut. Now we're based in Connecticut. So that was like, Oh my gosh, are they, they actually based out of Connecticut too. Things and, don't happen in Connecticut much. Yeah. It's, it's very exciting for us. <laughs> so what we saw was Jay Nielsen had posted some photos on Instagram and he had tagged Stanford, Connecticut. And he said he was forging on set. And then Teresa came to the realization uh, like a couple hours ago, like maybe they were doing one of those competitions offset that day or that week, and that he was forging on that set. So that's right. why we were, we were so excited that maybe it was Connecticut, but now we realize it's it's shot in New York. Um, but they do a lot of the testing in uh, Connecticut, Same and it, like the most not this past week's episode or this week's episode, but the past weeks they actually did the Memorial Day episode where they shot the blade. That was actually shot at a uh, shooting range in Connecticut. So, like, little things like that, they get us going real good because, again, Connecticut's known for, you know... I've been through there. Yeah, we've been through there on the way to Boston or New York or, you know, the WWE is located here. That's their headquarters. That's one of our big claims to fame. (laughs) So, uh, we were, were, you know, that's why we're asking about that. So, you mentioned that they were um, in New York. Yes, yeah, they're in uh, – I believe their studio is in like right between New Jersey and New York, and they actually have you stay in New Jersey. There's always debates about that. I didn't look exactly on my GPS where I was, but they fly to New York. And uh, and the scenes about Connecticut you're talking about, I would maybe some of the fort scenes where they actually go where there's brick walls, like old-timey colonial things. They may go to a battlefield that's around there they get to use. Um, they do things out like ours, but ours was like 10 blocks away in the neighborhood is a concrete uh, facility. Right. So we were still right there. Um, I actually went up a week early with my family and uh, we seen New York and all there was to see. So. Oh, cool. Well, that's all I got. Sean, you got any other questions? Um, did you know about Dave Baker's pocket tape measure? Dave Baker's pocket tape measure. No, I did not know that that's what it was. I figured he was measuring that blade. That's what it was. But uh, there's more to measuring that blade than, than what they show on TV. I'm not going to. I don't think I can go into that. Sure. At all. But uh, you can see if you look at the ju- if you look at the host's face, you can kind of see what I'm talking about when they're all like, "Yeah, I, I can't go into that one." But uh, <laughs> no problem. No problem. There's no, more to that. But we just noticed um, recently that he carries a little tape measure on that chain. Yeah. We're like, oh, well, how about that? How convenient. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's got it there. Kind of I like Dave it. Baker. He's actually a much bigger guy than what you think when you meet him in person. I didn't think he was that big of a guy. He's got big hands on him. And that's why I think he's always complaining about the handles. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I got big hands. When we shook hands, his hands were uh, pretty big. They're as big as mine or bigger. Wow. Yeah. Like, okay, that makes sense. He's a pretty big guy. And when you do make knives, that, that's another hint there. That's another – make sure you do shake your your uh, people's hands, your you know customers' hands, and judge their hand based on yours. Yeah. You don't oh. have to measure it. You just, when you shake their hand, you just mentally take a note. Okay, my palm's about the same size or my fingers, I completely wrap their hand up or whichever. So when you make their blade, you kind of make it to fit their hand. People are surprised. Like, man, this feels good in my hand. Like – that's why, because you made it for them. And uh, they got smaller hands. You don't want to make a blade if you got really big hands that fit yourself or vice versa. If their hands are bigger as yours or bigger, you might want to make it a little bigger for them. And right. When right. you shake your hand, you do that. 
that's a slick little piece of knowledge there. Yeah, that's really nice. That was that's brought cool. up on someone else had mentioned that that was on the show that when he made, went to make the final weapon. He's like, yeah. no, I, I remember shaking her hands. That, you know, it was, oh, so he okay. kind of a lot. Know. A lot of people do. A lot of bladesmiths will do that when they shake the hand. They're like, okay, that guy's got a big hand, so I need to make it for him. Great. Well. Brandon, thanks again for you know giving us the time here to interview you. This is again our first interview, so we apologize for any hiccups and things like that along the way, and we apologize we couldn't get our video feed to you working, but hopefully we'll get that nailed down in the future. Okay. And um, you know maybe if you're interested down the line, we're looking to see if uh, contestants that were on the show would want to fill in or come in and uh, via Skype and talk about one of the actual episodes with us, do like a wrap up show with us as well so um, i know that uh one of your other viewers had watched the my episode was wade i think matt watched it as well so i know he's waiting to see this he may want to talk to you guys or oh well. you <laughs> might yeah. have a winner on your show you know um, well we so do I, have one other I'll interview see. scheduled coming up in a few weeks and uh that is with um Drew? Drew, who was the youngest Forge and Fire champion um, okay. from the Zonde Spear episode. So that'll yeah. be an, an interesting uh, one as well. But um, again, thank you for your time. And um, with that, that was our first interview on Fans of the Forge. So thanks everybody for watching the show. Remember to subscribe to the YouTube channel and like our videos. Check out the audio podcast if you'd rather just listen to it. And thanks again for watching. So... Thanks. Thanks.